What is up, Pokey Nation? It's me, your boy, Ryan Geyser. I should stop saying your boy, because that does not fit my personality very well. Back with another episode of I Want to Watch the Very Best, because Gotta Watch Them All was taken. Those naughty boys. Guys, we are so close. I'm almost finished watching and taking notes on the entirety of the Indigo League. I'm like three episodes shy of having finished my notes for that, and then it's on to the Orange Island. I think by the time I reach the Orange Island, I'm going to take a short break just to kind of recoup myself, get a head start on it, and just work on some other stuff I need to get done. I have a lot of projects, and I would like to work on them, so this is going to be put on kind of the back burner for a week, maybe two weeks, just so I can get a grip on everything. But the next episode that should come out, I think, hopefully, if I can get it done, is the movie. I will work on the movie. I might end up doing it solo. Might find someone to do it with me. I'm working on that, but uh, it might be just me. So be be ready for that. Anyway, other than that, I have also started playing Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes, and that is my new addiction. I have dropped Persona 4 for a while. My Steam Deck actually still has Persona 4 running on it in the middle of a cutscene because I just haven't opened it since. I've been too addicted to Three Hopes. One day I'll get back to Persona 4, but I feel like I'll finish Three Hopes quicker than I will ever finish Persona 4. And that's basically what's been going on in my life the past week and a half-ish or so. Something along those lines. I, I haven't really done much outside of this and Three Hopes. So Three Hopes is going good so far. I'm like four or five chapters into the main campaign, and I'm enjoying it. I chose Blue Lions because that's who I started with in Three Houses, and I gotta stick with them. I think they get the sort of earlier exposition out of the way, while the other two roots kind of get the later stuff in, the, like, big lore. Also, seriously, if you ever play Three Houses, start with the Blue Lions, where it, like, builds up the beginning part so much better than the other parts, and then kind of drops the ball in the second half, but that's because it's picked up by the other two roots in the last half. I don't know where I'm going with this. Anyway, let's jump right into today's episode. Yay! Episode 67, The Pikahuna. Synopsis. The group learns of a surfer named Victor, who dreams of riding a wave called Humunga Dunga, which only appears every 20 years, and placing a flag at the top of a rock pillar with his partner Pikachu, Puka. We begin with Ash and Pikachu jogging in order to train, Misty and Brock running right behind, until a car rushes by, splashing Ash with a puddle and clouding his vision with exhaust. While trying to find his sight again, he almost gets hit by another car, but ends up just causing a traffic jam filled with cars that all have surfboards on the roof. As the traffic crowd begins to physically fight each other, an Officer Jenny breaks them up and leads them back along the road, gently asking Ash to be more careful next time. Brock then asks why there's so much traffic, and Jenny tells the group it's due to Humunga Dunga, a maybe not great name tidal wave that only arrives once every 20 years, and it's arriving soon. Because Humunga Dunga's coming! Humunga Dunga! The group then notices surfers trying to place flags into a large rock pillar just jutting out of the water in the middle of nothing else. It's just a rock pillar that juts up and there's nothing around it. Are structures like that even real? Anyway, they ask what they're doing. 
Jenny tells the group that they're all trying to become surfing legends like Jan, who rode Humunga Dunga and placed a flag at the rock's peak, something no other surfer has done since. Ash then smirks, and we quickly cut to him running into the ocean with a surfboard. Ash, what about your training? I am training, Misty. I'm training to be the best, just like Jan. Yeah, right. He should be training for the Pokemon League. As Ash surfs out, Pikachu notices another older and blue-eyed Pikachu on the nearby cliff, staring at the sea, its tail beginning to glow. A man in the nearby house sees this and cryptically says, It's a big wave, but it's not the big wave. Ash wipes out while surfing, his friends teasing him for it. However, resting on his surfboard, Ash realizes that his foot cramped up as he's caught in a torrent of waves, unable to move. Suddenly, the man from the house earlier surfs in along a large wave with his Pikachu, rescuing Ash and bringing him to shore. Ash is then brought to the man's house, waking up in his bed, Pikachu and his friends greeting him. As the man walks in to give Ash a drink, his friends explain that the man, Victor, and his Pikachu, Puka, saved Ash from drowning. Pikachu joins Puka on the cliff as Team Rocket spies on them from their Gyarados sub, planning to nab them. Asking about Puka, Victor says that he's been with his Pikachu for almost 20 years now, and that he never captured Puka but found them at sea. When he was younger, he saw the Pokemon adrift on a piece of wood and rescued it from a wave. He then adds that his Pikachu can mysteriously sense the waves, glowing when a big one is coming. This ability is never explained. Brock and Misty then notice some pictures of a younger Victor and ask who the man in one of them is, Victor telling the three that it's the legendary Jan. He tells the group that he began surfing because he admired Jan, even before he placed the flag, but really struggled with the sport at first. However, Jan saw him learning and encouraged him, inspiring him to keep at it. Then, the day of Humunga Dunga came, Jan planting his flag in the rock. Coming off the wave, Jan gave Victor his board, saying that, hey, one day, you'll be able to do it too. Jan then set off on a journey to surf the rest of the world. And don't worry, I know this sounds like a four kids cover up the fact that he died edit, but the man genuinely sets off on a boat happy, no death involved. 20 years later, Victor attempts to ride the big wave as well, but fails and falls into a depression. However, finding Puka inspired him to continue, and he's been practicing for his second chance ever since. Their conversation is suddenly interrupted by Pikachu cries from outside, and the group rush out, watching as Pikachu and Puka are captured by Team Rocket. As they escape, Victor rushes to grab a boat. Trapping the Chews inside a glass container, the evil trio don't notice a swarm of Gyarados until it's too late, James telling the other two that they're gathering due to mating season, and don't really like it when people interrupt the mating season. I can imagine why. The Gyarados ram the sub, and the rockets try to carefully escape, almost making it out until the swarm hyperbeams all of them. Our heroes then arrive on the speedboat just in time to see the rockets launched out of the water, their sub blowing up and blasting off. Pikachu and Puka start to fall as a storm brews, with Bulbasaur grabbing Ash's Pokemon, but leaving Puka to fall into the water. Victor then throws his surfboard to his Pikachu, jumping in to join it. 
Brock tries to help with the boat, but warns that the waves are too intense and they have to leave or risk capsizing. Bye, Victor. Have fun. Victor and Puka unite on the board before Puka begins to glow brightly, signaling the arrival of Humunga Dunga. While Jenny evacuates the beach to higher ground, our trio watch from the road, unable to see Victor. And despite many people in this episode saying that surfers flock to this wave, no other surfer is visible on it. Suddenly, Ash spots Victor and Puka on the peak of the wave, readying their flag. Launching off the top of the water, he jabs the flag into the peak right next to Jan's. When the water calms, Victor and Puka look happily at their work before returning to the beach to meet up with Ash's group. After being congratulated, Victor spies some young surfers looking at him with admiration, so he goes over and echoes the same encouraging words Jan gave him. The narrator explaining that our lesson for today is that it's never too late for some dreams to come true. We end at nighttime, Team Rocket stuck in an upright sub on top of a rock, being circled by Gyarados. Meowth saying they just need to wait a small amount of time until the next Yumungadunga frees them, right? Man, this is the most middle-of-the-road episode I've ever seen in this series so far. It creates its own mysteries that it doesn't solve, a fourth of it is backstory, it doesn't show off any Pokemon in the spotlight that it hasn't already yet, and it just kind of... happens. I struggled to find anything that was really even good to use as a clip for this episode, too. It's not boring, but it's not exciting. It's not bad, but it's not really good either. It just... exists, and that's the best it gets. Guess what's up next? That's right, it's... Episode 68, Make Room for Gloom! Synopsis. While running an errand for Delia, Ash's group meets and befriends the new owner of a plant nursery. After learning that she wants to make her gloom stronger to prove she's able to properly take over the business, the team agrees to help her. Back in Palatown, the narrator makes fun of Ash's laziness, despite the league coming up soon. Mr. Mime then sweeps Pikachu's face until it zaps himself and Ash awake. Eating breakfast, Delia comes in and quips that, since Ash isn't training, he can help with the garden. The boy tries to get out of it and quickly comes up with the fib of, uh, uh training in the mountain, rushing the group outside and telling him that his mom will work him so hard with chores that he won't even have the energy to train if he wanted to. Delia then stops the group, asking them to grab, oh, 300 or 400 pounds of fertilizer at the plant nursery near the mountain. Now believing Ash, his two friends quickly run off with him, even though Brock loves chores. The trio coincidentally stop running right outside the Xanadu Nursery, a large glass dome filled with plants. Ash telling his friends that the owner of it moved away some time ago, and he's not really sure who runs it now. While looking through the windows, Brock notices something. <laughs> that girl's more beautiful than any flower I've ever seen. What are you talking about, Brock? I don't see any beautiful girl. Just turn around. <laughs> Misty, please, only one of us can hallucinate at a time. Ash looks inside as well, seeing a Gloom and thinking that's what Brock saw. After an untranslatable joke involving Misty and Gloom's names being switched with Ash saying, Getting Misty over a Gloom? A man approaches the group. Initially believing the man's backpack sprinkler is a flamethrower, the man then lets them inside and introduces himself as Potter, an employee. 
After commenting that a lot of trainers let their grass types play around in the building, Ash lets Bulbasaur out and runs off with it. Brock also makes his priorities known. Um, when we first got here, I saw a girl inside the greenhouse. Oh, you must be talking about Florinda. <laughs> Florinda, what a beautiful name for a wife. The group watches Bulbasaur sniff some flowers, one of them making it all blushy and causing it to nuzzle up to Ash. Misty reads a sign that says it's Pokenip and compares it to catnip and cats, maybe referring to cat-like Pokemon or actual cats, who can say? Bulbasaur then sniffs another plant, suddenly jolting upright before slowly slumping down in a blissful daze. Ash is about to investigate the plant as well, but Florinda, the woman Brock saw, stops him, warning that it's a stun stem, a plant that paralyzes anyone or anything that smells it. See, I don't know about you, Florinda, but you think maybe putting up a fence or some more clear warning signs may be a good idea? No? Okay. Ash panics about what to do, and Florinda has Ash grab Bulbasaur and bring it inside their house. While there, her gloom dispenses a milky substance from its head, dripping into Bulbasaur's mouth and making it recover. Florinda tells the group that, due to Gloom tending the stun stem so often, it built up both an immunity and internal antidote to it. Bulbasaur then gets back up, and all blushy and shy, says something to the Gloom, who blushes back as they nuzzle each other. Watching happily, Misty then points out to Ash that Brock and Florinda are alone on the building's balcony. She tells Brock that she's supposed to be in charge of the nursery, but feels like she's failing since she can't even get the gloom to evolve and has only taught it a couple of moves. Potter tells Ash and Misty that Florinda even bought a leaf stone for her Pokemon to evolve, while Brock encourages his new waifu by saying that gloom not evolving just shows how happy it is. Professor Oak then just appears out of nowhere, saying that it's not Florinda's fault Gloom won't evolve, but the fake leaf stone she's using. He tells the group that he's been hunting down fake stone con salesmen in the area, which still does not give him any right to break into this florist home and eavesdrop on her private conversation with Brock. Florinda then tells the group who sold her the stone. A guy who wore his hair kinda long like this, and a girl with big hair like this, and a meow knew how to talk fast. I knew it! That's Team Rocket! Prepare for trouble from a girl with big hair. And make it double from a guy with hair like that there. Ha! To protect the world from devastation. To uh, unite. My hair looks alright, doesn't it? Meowth then says the three should leave before Florinda realizes the stone is a fake. But James insists that they keep hunting for any rare Pokemon that might be around. In a plant nursery. Jesse then notices the stun stem, and the three plot to do something devious with it. As Ash's group sits down for tea with Oak, Potter, and Florinda, the young owner cries that the leafstone being a fake simply proves that she's not fit to run a business. Brock promises to find a leaf stone, but after Ash points out that none of them know where to even look for one, he says that he'll find Team Rocket and at least get her money back. Something else he doesn't know how to do. Just as Misty says that Team Rocket usually finds them first, an alarm goes off, letting everyone know that Team Rocket is stealing the plants. How coincidental! Everyone rushes down to stop the evil trio, Florinda and Gloom hanging back on the walkway to yell at the Rockets. The three then make fun of her for falling for a scam, before Ash has Bulbasaur restrain Jesse and James. 
However, the two chuckle softly to each other. <laughs> Just because we're tied with these vines doesn't mean we're ripped. Any second now will be saved by our secret weapon. What's that? Meow! What are you waiting for? After pretending to be an old herbalist, Meowth finishes crafting a stun stem bomb, throwing it at the group, causing everyone to become stunned except the Rockets, Florinda, and Gloom, due to the latter two still being on the walkway. The Rockets grab Pikachu and tease Ash for his failure, with Brock begging Florinda to battle the three with her Gloom. She's all like, oh, I don't know, my Gloom is too weak because I'm a horrible trainer and I'm just the worst and I should die and I'll go grab some healing herbs instead and blah, blah, blah. Before Ash yells at her to cut it out and just battle, Brock saying that Gloom is their only hope. She finally decides to give it a shot, sending Gloom down while the Rockets send out Arbok and Weezing. However, after a simple smog and toxic combo attack, Gloom is already scared. Florinda is once again like, See, I'm a bad, horrible trainer, and I suck. <laughs> Brock then tells her to remember any moves Gloom might know, and she has it use Double Team. Creating after images of itself, Team Rocket panics, with Weezing and Arbok hitting each other and filling their own battle space with smog. Florinda then asks if maybe a solar beam would work, and Brock is like, Why didn't you tell me you taught it the most powerful grass move? And she's all like, Oh, do you think I shouldn't have? I saw it in a Pokemon magazine and I thought I'd give it a try. Gloom then charges up a solar beam. Pikachu bites Jessie's arm, her throwing him free just in time for the solar beam to hit and launch Team Rocket away. Everyone comments on how good Florinda and Gloom were, with Bulbasaur licking his new crush. Later, after everyone recovers, Florinda and Brock discuss how strong Gloom is. Florinda then says that she finally feels confident enough to run the nursery. Now I feel ready to run this nursery for my family. That is, if one very special guy is there to share it all with me. Ah, uh, well I... Oh, this is so sudden! I've always dreamed of having someone like you, someone who's kind and talented and beautiful as you are. And now you've made all my dreams come true. Yes, Florinda, darling. Yes, I'll share my life with you. Hey, Brock, are you talking to somebody? Uh -huh. I think maybe you had a little too much of that antidote. Despite really making it sound like she was talking to Brock, she confesses her love for Potter, who confesses his in return, Brock falling to the ground in defeat. Ugh. Oh... Rejected by the one girl I loved. I'll never find another one like her again. Uh, don't worry, Brock. You'll find plenty of other girls to reject you. Ash says that he should grab some flowers for his mom while they're there. Despite her asking for 400 pounds of fertilizer instead of flowers. And Misty points out that Ash didn't do any training that day. Him responding that, there's always tomorrow. Because, you know, Misty, he had so much time to train with Team Rocket, paralyzing everyone for presumably hours. And then the episode ends. Another not-so-great episode. There's one or two jokes that land, and the ending gag was pretty decent, if not easy to see coming, but it falls into mediocrity again. Plus, this is the second Gloom-focused episode. Why couldn't we have had it focus on, like, Oddish or Vileplume or some other grass type that hasn't really gotten any attention? We've already had Gloom show off with Erica. Give us something else. 
Florinda is also just a bit too whiny. There's confidence issues, and then there's a humiliation kink. I think she falls somewhere between the two, more on the latter side than the former. And similarly, this episode falls right between good and bad, landing right in the middle on standard. But maybe we'll recover next episode with... Episode 69! <laughs> nice. Lights! Camera! Coaction! Synopsis. During a battle with Team Rocket, everyone is interrupted by an eccentric but supposedly famed movie director. He needs a new star for his film and offers all of them the chance to have their Pokemon try out for it. During a hike, our heroes decide to break near a lake, Jigglypuff following them. In the midst of an argument over Brock's chili being too spicy, a girl named Katrina approaches the group, asking if they're trainers. Brock hits on her. Uh, hi there, my name's Brock and I'm a Pokemon breeder in training and it's very nice to meet you and by the way, what's your name and do you have a boyfriend? And she challenges Ash to a battle, sending out her Raichu immediately, basically saying, words are dumb, let's fight. Ash counters with his Pikachu, but before either of them can even trade blows, Team Rocket slams a net down. They think they caught Pikachu, but actually just grabbed Raichu, who electrocutes them. Even if they did grab Pikachu, they'd just be shocked by him instead of Raichu, so I don't really know what their plan was here. Just as Raichu is about to use Mega Kick on the trio, a man yells, CUT! Grinding everything to a halt. The voice came from the director of a movie crew, who scoots Pikachu out of the way to get a better shot of Raichu. Also, congrats anime! You condensed a standard episode of this show into one roughly two-minute scene. The barest essentials were all there. Trainer of the day, battle, Team Rocket jumping in and dying, and all that was needed was it just cutting to sunset as everyone waved goodbye to each other. It's really impressive. Mm, that's the money shot. What did he just say? That line has not aged well. Prepare for trouble. No stunt double. Wait a second, aren't those our lines? To protect the movies from devastation, to restore spectacle and imagination, to make great epics of hate and love, to direct the best films you ever heard of, Cleavon Spielbunk, winner of the Golden Rowlet for Best Director at the Flea Collar Film Festival, Lights Camera! Hit your mark when I call action or prepare to fight! That's right! Who's he? I don't know. Oh! All kids today care about is those crazy cartoon shows! Ash and Misty don't know who this Cleve and Spielbunk, great name by the way, even is. But Brock reveals he's a huge fan, especially of the film I Saw What You Ate Last Tuesday, which Katrina also almost saw. Just as Cleveland is crying over his movies being Morbius in theaters, Jesse asks what he's even doing out here. He explains that he's on a talent search, Jesse and James trying to promote themselves before he waves them away, saying he's looking specifically for Pokemon actors. He goes on to say it's a love story with action and suspense, and the lead actor is a diva Wigglytuff. Meowth makes fun of how lame she is, causing her to slap him repeatedly. Brock then says that the Wigglytuff's really cute for a brute, causing him to be slapped too, but not before kneeling down for the Pokemon's convenience. Originally, an Abra was the other lead, but it couldn't handle Wigglytuff and teleported offset, so he's holding open auditions for the now free role. Our heroes, Katrina, and even Team Rocket have their Pokemon try out, 
Ash has Pikachu, Brock uses Vulpix, Misty tries to use Staryu, but Psyduck pops out first, Katrina uses Raichu, Jesse with Arbok, James with Weezing, and Meowth playing as himself. Cleveland then announces that the first test will be a dance, and then plays one of the funnier songs on the dub soundtrack. A real star's gotta be able to dance, too! Meowth just flails around, Arbok coils into a spin, Weezing bounces around, Pikachu and Raichu tango with each other, Vulpix jumps up and does a Breakfast Club freeze frame pose, Psyduck wiggles its whittle tail, and some other Pokemon also dance but they don't matter because all the Pokemon who belong to named characters advanced while none of the others do. Meowth licks a very unhappy Spielbunk's face in gratitude. Next up is a singing contest, and we get Meowth's beautiful performance. You gotta pick Unfortunately, Jigglypuff appears on stage and puts everyone to sleep. Interestingly, that includes Wigglytuff, who you think would have some kind of like immunity or resistance to it or something. After angrily drawing on everyone and them panicking, we then cut to the singing contest again, meaning Jigglypuff didn't have to be there and it maybe have just been an excuse to kill a couple minutes with reused animation. Cleveland tells the pokey actors that they need to sing with Wigglytuff, but Meowth demands that he works alone, causing him to be double slapped repeatedly. Arbok and Dweezing try and fail to sing, getting slapped as well, all of Rocket's Pokemon being disqualified. Jesse and James decide to attack everyone to fight this decision, but see Arbok and Weezing slithering and hovering away dejectedly. They chase after them and are adorably supportive to their Pokemon. We won't forget this! Don't worry, we know you're talented! You can always do television! Hey! Don't leave me here with that wiggly top! Come back, we're your biggest fan! We're your only fan! Well? All the other Pokemon quietly scoot away from Wigglytuff in fear, causing Psyduck to win by default because it didn't pick up that it should leave. After celebrating Psyduck's casting, Brock asks what the movie is actually even about. Spielbunk then tells the trio, plus Katrina, who is still there, his totally original do not steal movie idea that is just Romeo and Juliet, where only Romeo dies. Here, just listen to this whole thing. Let me give you a little preview. <gasps> this is my own original story about two love-struck Pokemon. As the movie begins, Wigglytuff and Psyduck have just started going out. Psyduck brings Wigglytuff home after their first date. Psyduck serenades our heroine under a full moon. It looks like smooth sailing romance-wise. But their feuding families and friends want to drive them apart. We love each other so. Why can't you live and let love? Then heartbreak! As a stray arrow heads straight for Wigglytuff! Duck! 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 <gasps> Psyduck leaps in the arrow's path in the nick of time! But Psyduck has been mortally wounded! It sighs its last sigh in Wigglytuff's arms! The tragedy brings the two families together and their feud ends at last! Oh! I can see it now! It'll win tons of awards and clean up at the box office! That story doesn't sound original. It sounds like a masterpiece! Oh, I want to see it again! Happily accepting everyone's offer for free, non-union labor, Cleveland prepares to film, while Jesse and James slap sense into their Pokémon, before further encouraging them sweetly. It's a very long climb up the stairway to stardom! And there's no elevator! 
But you'll never reach the top unless you keep on climbing. It may mean years of rejection, but if you keep on trying, you may just see your name up in light someday. <laughs> hey, watch out, world, because these are the stars of tomorrow. Cleveland gets everyone in place for the climax of his movie, saying he likes to film that first so he can figure out how the rest of the story should go. He pits some intimidating Pokemon against each other. And then the anime does some cute stuff by having Magnemite power the lights and Kingler's Claw being the little scene clacker thing. Rolling, Pidgeotto creates a wind, Staryu creates a very temporary rainstorm that quickly goes away, and the two electric rodents create some lightning. As the two Pokemon groups fight in one big dust cloud, Cleveland prepares to have Psyduck and Wigglytuff make their big reveal. However, after Pikachu is thrown into an angry Wigglytuff's face, fog fills the set, with Team Rocket appearing and trying to steal the scene from each other. Thankfully, Team Rocket really did not think this through, and Ash, for some reason, is able to order all the Pokemon on set to attack. As they beat Team Rocket up, a cameraman asks if he should keep rolling, and Cleveland is like, Yes! And also, we're jumping in there too! Yay! Before he and his crew run into the dust cloud as well. Ash, Misty, and Brock then all jump in front of and show off for the camera, despite the fact that it can all be very easily cut in post. Choosing me as the world's most beautiful and talented Pokemon trainer. Ah, I'm Brock. Hello, ladies. Suddenly, Katrina screams alert the group to Team Rocket having somehow escaped the carnage, bringing over a giant crane and scooping up all the Pokemon, except Psyduck, in the span of a couple of seconds. But remember, it was an error that Keith from the Farfetch'd episode already had a copy of Misty's bag ready. Yeah. As Team Rocket gloats over their victory, Wigglytuff and Misty beg Psyduck to do something. So it just panics and runs in circles, before all the yelling gives it a headache and it uses confusion to free the Pokemon and launch Team Rocket away. Psyduck collapses in exhaustion, with Wigglytuff running over to see if they're okay. Everyone cheers and Cleveland calls cut, having been filming the whole time and taking credit for it all. That night, Ash's group and Katrina rest around the fire. Ash upset because he wasted more time than he could have been training. But Misty says that making a movie was worth it. Plus he met Katrina, who also plans to go to the Pokemon League. Both are excited to eventually battle in the League matches. And while it would have been neat to see a trainer of the day with so little screen time appear again, at least as a cameo in the League, we never see her again. Cleveland rushes over, saying this could be a good plot for his next movie. The group volunteers to be free labor again, as Psyduck and Wigglytuff sit with each other near the water, which would have been a cute ending, except... Our final scene is another rocket torment scene, hanging by their clothes on a tree branch atop a very high and steep hill. Meowth, will you stop moving around? I gotta breathe, don't I? Talk about a cliffhanger! Prepare for trouble. With no stump double. 
The dub scriptwriters had a lot of fun with the movie references in this one. Got a bunch of little nods to Hollywood, but not to the point that it's over the top. Still, like a good chunk of the other episodes between Badge 8 and The League, it just feels pointless, I guess. At least with the previous episodes in Gen 1, stuff happened on the way to another destination, and it was a fun journey. But this is Ash just goofing off at home for two months while Team Rocket stalks him. It's not nearly as fun. Still, I don't want to be too much of a downer. This episode is one of the more entertaining of the in-between episodes, and it does show Team Rocket's care for their Pokemon again, which we love to see. Plus, it also leads us to another Team Rocket lore episode. Episode 70, Go West, Young Meowth! And yes, that is a reference to the phrase Go West, Young Man, which is linked to Westward Expansion in Manifest Destiny, so... Fun! Synopsis. While in Hollywood to watch the premiere of Spielbunk's movie, Ash's group doesn't notice that Team Rocket followed them. Meowth, however, seems troubled by something, and asks to be left alone as he recalls his painful past life. In Palatown, Ash, Brock, and Pikachu stretch in the sunrise. A postman then delivers a letter inviting the group to the Hollywood premiere of Pokemon in Love. The movie they filmed the last episode that they in no way had time to edit in the span of just a few days. The group excitedly daydreams about going to Hollywood and seeing the sights and celebrities, while Ash whines about his situation in an attempt to gain pity points, with his plan backfiring. We're going to Hollywood! Oh, you all go have fun! I'll stay here and train for the Pokemon League! Oh, oh that's right! That's too bad! You convinced me! I'll go too! Jesse and James are then seen talking to each other via megaphone on opposite sides of the billboard for the movie, having a back-and-forth conversation on wanting to see the movie, but risking getting thrown out. Jeez, I just can't wait to go to the gala premiere of this movie. But I didn't get an invitation, did you? We don't need invitations. We're the stars. All we have to do is show up. And all they have to do is throw us out. Don't be ridiculous, James. This movie is our ticket to Hollywood superstardom. And soon we'll be getting limousines and movie contracts and fan mail. We might even get our own infomercial. Meowth then yells for them to be quiet, saying to himself that he'd rather forget about Hollywood. After the title screen, we flash back to Meowth's childhood. It's revealed that, as a kitten, his first memory was that he was alone, with it being unclear if he was abandoned or orphaned. Each day was a struggle to survive, with the cat always moments away from starving to death. He eventually got so desperate that he tried to eat baseballs, but is caught and tied up, hung in a tree by an extremely sociopathic baseball coach as punishment, crying himself to sleep as he's forgotten. That coach is definitely going to murder one of those children. He then wakes up to cheering as a movie plays on an outdoor projector. He was amazed by the abundance of food the movie showed, and broke free from his restraints, resolving to make his way to Hollywood for a better life. Riding on top of a truck, Meowth races to the light at the end of the tunnel, transitioning to a well-lit and energized Hollywood, Ash's group celebrating their arrival in fancy movie clothes. Delia even has her dress blown up like Marilyn Monroe. 
However, this all appears to be them having a psychotic, shock-induced breakdown as the imagery fades away to reveal that they're actually in an old, dilapidated, and empty part of Hollywood, much to their disappointment. Arriving at the empty theater, they are greeted by Cleveland, who boldly claims that this is where movie history will be made. Jesse and James watch this scene from behind a pole, while Meowth coolly leans against the wall wearing a trench coat. After the cat offhandedly mentions that this town isn't what it used to be, Jesse asks why he's never told the group he's been there before. Meowth then cryptically replies that there are some things he likes to keep private, before heading off on his own for a bit, saying he's got some poisonal business to take care of. He then stares at the closed-down snack shop, recalling the time when it was open and thriving. We then see a young Meowth rush from it with some food, getting hit with a pan and dropping his stolen meal, having to leave it behind as the chef chases after him. Hiding in an alley, he's terrified to see it filled with other Meowth, led by a Persian that approaches the new, timid cat. However, the Persian elects to show him kindness, giving him a partially eaten fishbone to finish off, Meowth crying at the generosity. Joining the Cat Crimes gang, he and his new comrades break into the snack stand together, successfully stealing from him, as Meowth then goes on to say that for the first time in his life, he was able to eat well. In the present day, Meowth stares at an old jewelry store across the street, flashing back to the past when it was still in business. Meowth recalls seeing a pretty female Meowth across the street, falling instantly in love. He tries to cross the street, nearly getting killed and causing a traffic jam, but making it successfully to his new love. However, she turns away from his advances, so Meowth tries to woo her. The rich, fancy lady then prepares to recall her Pokemon into a diamond-studded Pokeball. Meowth, noticing how much Meowzy seemed to love the gems, realizing that he didn't stand a chance to win her affections. Meowzy then explains that her trainer is rich, able to buy her cat whatever she wants, adding that Meowth is just a poor, dirty little street cat, not even a human that had a chance at buying her stuff. Meowth then watches as the rich lady takes away his new crush, and he then uses a ledge to lift himself up onto two legs, something that the anime at this point in time still considers uncommon despite how often two-legged Meowth appear later, and vows to become like a human. Present-day Meowth then approaches a poorly kept mansion-looking house, where a man and a woman are having a domestic dispute. Why don't you take me out anymore? Because you keep coming back! This place had changed a lot, too! Our cat then recalls the place in its heyday, a popular acting, dancing, and speech improvement school. He spends time watching from the ceiling, practicing walking on two legs and speaking. He relatively quickly gets the hang of two legs, but due to the loss of speed using them gave, he is unable to keep up with his gang as they steal, getting beaten by the chef, present Meowth saying, that's when I loined to crawl. With speech, Meowth struggles, practicing by reading an alphabet book aloud for months, along with listening to speech lessons, as present-day Meowth sings a not-so-great song. 
Eventually, Meowth proudly claims that he got faster each day, and eventually learned how to speak slightly as well. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. Once again. She sells seashells by the seashore. Enunciate, please. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore? Huh? Along with that, one of the first words from the alphabet book he learned was rocket, saying that if it wasn't for that being one of the words that stood out the most in his memory, he may never have joined Team Rocket. R is for rah, rah, rocket! If that hadn't been the first word I understood... T is for prepare for trouble. And D is for make it double. Confident in his abilities, Meowth appeals to Meowzy once again, saying he's finally human. However, this causes her to reject him harder, saying not only is he just a dirty street Meowth, but now he's a freak too, permanently crushing his dream. Meowth then angrily and sadly leaves Hollywood behind, vowing to become a freak that was powerful, so that she'd eventually come crawling back to him, begging for forgiveness. He then joins Team Rocket, never seeing Meowzy or his old gang again, while also never succeeding in his dream to become powerful. As present-day Meowth stares forlornly through a broken window, his old gang surrounds him, growling and breaking him from his thoughts. Persian then approaches him, Meowth calmly greeting him. Jesse and James, still waiting in front of the theater, worry about Meowth since he promised that he'd at least be back in time for the premiere, but still hasn't shown. They then see him being escorted by the cat gang. Trapped in a back alley, Persian tries to persuade Meowth to rejoin, our cat correctly deducing that his walking and talking skills would be pretty valuable assets, huh? However, he declines, saying he's already part of Team Rocket. However, the Persian points out Meowzy, now part of the gang. Persian gives them some alone time, where Meowzy explains that her trainer, driving away with all of her possessions, abandons the kitty, saying that her money is almost gone and she can't take care of the Pokemon anymore. She then happily says that she's sure the cat can fend for herself before speeding off. She definitely killed someone and is on the run, isn't she? Meowzy was then approached by the gang, who took her in, her reluctantly accepting due to her desperate situation. Meowth then angrily declares that he's taking her out of this situation, but Persian and the other Meowth stop him. As they prepare to attack, Meowth standing his ground in front of Meowzy, Jesse and James boldly enter with the same song they used in the Jigglypuff episode. Meowth then asks if they came to rescue him, his two comrades assuring him that they'd never abandon a teammate, especially one they consider a friend. We may be mean and nasty, but we never turn our backs on a teammate in trouble. As long as we're not exposed to any actual physical danger. They then jump down, having Arbok and Weezing chase away the Meowth. It then fades to a sunset-lit roof, Meowth and Persian standing off in a duel. They jump at each other, slashing and land. Meowth appears to have been injured, but after a few tense moments, Persian collapses. Meowzy then runs over, and right past Meowth, checking to see if Persian is okay. Team Rocket is dumbfounded, with Meowzy explaining that it's not right to leave Persian after he helped her at her lowest point. Besides, she still thinks Meowth is a freak. Jesse and James then assure him that he's their freak. 
The scene then transitions to an end screen, zooming out to reveal that it's the movie theater, Ash's group clapping, and visibly the only people there. Cleveland then asks for their opinion, with all of them complaining that they were nowhere even in the movie, and Pikachu and Togepi only appeared from behind for a second at best. Despite them knowing that, one, it was a movie entirely about Pokemon, and two, Misty was holding Togepi the whole time, and Pikachu was providing special effects with Raichu. So, of course their camera crash wasn't included, because that's bad cinema. Cleavin tells them that it hurt to cut them, and Misty asks why they were even invited. He then sheepishly explains that he couldn't get any other stars to come, so he figured he'd invite the little people that made the film possible. I guess his camera and editing crew declined to watch the premiere launch then. Harsh. Suddenly, Team Rocket's voices ring out, saying they should have been invited, giving their motto as they put on a little stage dance. Team Rocket, blast off at the speed of light! Surrender now or prepare to fight, but you'll have to talk to my agent. That's showbiz! What do you want this time? Oh, nothing. We just like to do our part to preserve musical theater. Now it's time for the finale. See you all next time. Looks like Team Rocket's dancing off again. That was scary. Ash's group whines about their movie careers being dead before they even start, and Circle transitioning to Meowth, staring at the moon, sadly wondering if maybe Meowthy is watching it too. The episode closing there. This is probably the only really good episode between Poke Corral and the League. And I'm not just saying that because this was another episode I had on the Game Boy Advance, making it a bit more nostalgic to me. I've already said before how much I love Team Rocket backstory episodes, but this one especially is unique. It's just so quiet and oddly artsy for a Pokemon episode. It's very slow and subdued, with only one quick fight scene and super obvious goof at the end. And it's full of scene transitions and scene setups that just aren't found in other regular episodes. I don't know if they were parodying anything specific or if it's more original, and if the whole anime was like this it wouldn't be great, but as a single episode, it's a really good one. And I recommend it to fans who have never seen it. Hello, hello, it's me, Intro Ryan, back again to say goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please make sure to hit that little subscribe, follow, whatever button the service you're using has you used to follow me and see updates. Couldn't get that sentence out correctly. Oopsie doopsie. <laughs> oh well. And also, if you enjoyed it, tell your friends. Word spreads around better than honey, as they say, right? I think that's the saying. Something like that. I don't know. Either way, tell your friendos about the this. And finally, of course, the most important part of all, I hope you have a great morning, day, evening, night, outside of space-time, whatever. Just have a good one! Bye!